The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. True Restoration on the Restoration Radio Network. I am your host, Justin Soder, this morning, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nicholas Wansbutter. Nicholas, thanks for joining us this morning. Oh, no problem. And we are pleased to have the great privilege of spending the next oh, hour and a half with His Excellency Bishop Daniel Dolan, pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Good morning, Your Excellency. Good morning, Justin. How are you doing? Wonderful. Doing wonderful. Uh, this morning... We are talking about a very uh, popular topic amongst the traditional Catholic circles. I don't think uh, anyone who's been in the traditional Catholic circles for any period of time does not know the name of Malachi Martin. This has been a show that we wanted to do for a while and just uh, finally fell on the docket correctly where we could schedule some of His Excellency's time. And who better to speak about a, an, an Irishman than an Irishman? <laughs> so <laughs> we are, uh, we're privileged to have him here this morning to talk about this. The best way to start off with this topic um, is to... Ah, may, we, may we, however, the best way to start, as you well know, Justin, is to say a prayer. Absolutely. So if we just pause for a moment here, and uh, the prayer that I've chosen to begin this program is one of the most ancient prayers in the Roman Missal, taken from the Mass of the Pre-Sanctified, which is um, uh, the, the, the uh, liturgy for Good Friday. Um, let us also pray for the faithless Jews that our God and Lord would withdraw the veil from their hearts, that they also may acknowledge our Lord Jesus Christ. Almighty and eternal God, who drivest not away from thy mercy even the faithless Jews, hear our prayers, which we offer for the blindness of that people, that acknowledging the light of thy truth, which is Christ, they may be delivered from their darkness the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, God pray for us pray sinners, for us now and at the hour of, the our, hour death. of our death. Amen. Amen. Good. Now well, we can Now we can start. Okay. <laughs> oh, and um, we're off to a, a nice politically correct start, which is perfect for this topic. <laughs> yes, because one of the very first things they did, that Malachi Martin and company did, was to um, uh, introduce the genuflection into this prayer on Good Friday. Traditionally, the deacon um, calls upon everyone, for Thomas Genoa, to genuflect, to bend the knee in prayer for all these great petitions on Good Friday. But for the Jews, it was never done, simply because the Church was thinking about how the Jews mocked Christ by false genuflections during his passion. And yet that was one of the first changes that was put into the uh, Missal. And as those of you who have followed um, 
all of the travails of the indult and Simorum Pontificum uh, soap opera. No, the one element of the John the Twenty Third Missal that was changed was the rewriting of this prayer. It was re- rewritten by Ratzinger so as to please the Jews. This will be probably a very important theme to uh, to draw out and to detail a little bit uh, today in our presentation. If you will permit me, however, I would like to start with a quote and then ask either of, of my, my hosts this morning if they recognize it. This is a quote. One of the big deficiencies in Christianity is there is no theology of women at all. Well, that, of course, that's Bergoglio. Aha! Uh-huh. I knew you would say that. Guess who said that? Uh, I was going to say that sounds like a John Paul II quote. It does. It does. Very fairly. Very, very fairly. It was said, however, by Malachi Martin on um, uh, the on Bill Buckley's firing line on December 7th, 1973. Voila. There you have it. There you have the, the perfect precursor to John Paul II uh, and to Bergoglio. The infiltrator of the conservative-traditional movement, um, as was indeed, I think, probably Skull and Bones Bill Buckley himself, but that's another topic. This is, this is the quote from him. There are many, many quotes from him that link him to uh, the conciliar popes about women, as we've just uh, said. And then he goes on to to uh, say how the men stole the priesthood, but women should really be the priests. That's what Malachi Martin, this big conservative, says. And then uh, the whole question of the Jews, obviously, as I've said. And then also the introduction and the insistence upon a vague sort of a New Age uh, theology, philosophy. That's all, that's all uh, Malachi Martin. He's the one who, uh, who is in effect, the precursor of the conciliar popes, the conciliar revolution, even as he was a major player in the in Vatican II. And he's the one whom the Jews hailed in that celebrate, you read about in that celebrated article in Look magazine um, by Joe Roddy, uh, how the Jews changed Catholic thinking. The Jews hailed him as a kind of a messiah or a savior for his um, crucial intervention in Vatican II so that Nostra Aetate, the uh, decree on the Jews, would be passed with the total heretical exculpation of the Jews, saying the Jews are not guilty of the crime of deicide, of the killing of a god. Uh, mm. he, he, he claims to take credit. For, he, claims to, he claims a credit for that. He takes the credit for that for himself. Um, but one of the major points I think that we really need to understand about him is that um, there's a lot of evidence and there's hard evidence that we can look at today, and that anyone is on the Internet. Anyone can look at it for him as a Jewish agent, uh, uh, as a spy in effect. But um, really, he is a liar of all liars. He's a sociopath. He has no sense of morality at all. says whatever he wants to say for whatever purpose he has in mind at that given moment, makes things up, and then because he has an Irish accent, don't we all know, it's it's a little bit charming, and people are, are drawn into it, and he says to you what you want to hear. So, of course, you're going to want to, you're going to, want to believe him, and that's how he, he got the confidence of even good men throughout his entire life, to say nothing of the confidence of evil men. 
but it's hard to it's hard to say what really is true and what isn't over and above uh, the actual facts because the essence of Malachi Martin is on the one hand blarney and blather, charming lies, uh, but on the other hand the, the wicked side uh, he's no cute little leprechaun he he is he's a seducer he's an adulterer he's a murderer. He's a destroyer, and he is one of the main architects of um, the Vatican II, Vatican II Church. Hmm. Now, well, you're actually... Uh, <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, my lord, uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are consider mm-hmm. Malachi Martin a, a, a traditionalist, and yes, uh, I know yes, that's the do. impression yes. I've gotten from a lot of people, and as we were mm-hmm. discussing in the pre-show, especially in Canada... He seems to be very popular and looked to as a traditional Catholic source. So uh, I'm thinking some listeners might be shocked to hear uh, such hard words being said about a man who's often lionized as a hero of the traditional Catholic movement. Indeed. And one of the nice things about living in the modern world, and there aren't that many, is that um, you could look it up, as they used to say. Anyone who's got access to the Internet can spend maybe 10, 15 minutes, as I did the other day, and just start to read over some of the articles, and you'll get the general picture of his life and the irrefutable evidence about his... Uh, in effect, he was a, a double agent or even a, a triple agent. This is what somebody called Maurice Pinet, who, uh, that's, a, that's a, a gnome de plume. I don't know what his real name is. He has a blog. On the internet, this is um, this is what he has to say about Martin. I, I thought it might be a good opener too. You can see from Malachi Martin's own words, as we hope to see today, he was not merely a, a womanizer, liberal, spy, and con man, but one of the most treacherous figures in the entire history of the church, a hater of Christians and Christianity at its very core, and an active destroyer of both. He was a partner of Rabbi. Heschel and the American Jewish Committee, let me put a parenthesis in here, to link him again with um, Bergoglio, who is a partner with the rabbis in Argentina, with whom one rabbi in particular, with whom he actually authored at least um, one book. And um, in this work of attacking Christianity, this is Pine again, and Christian souls, invoking Nazi exterminationist imagery in the international press to instill guilt and embarrassment to shape the outcome of a church council, Vatican II. Uh, so maybe that's Nicholas is a good point. One of one of the fruits that we should hope for from this uh, presentation this morning would be to disabuse our fellow Catholics of um, the Malachi Martin mythology that has been given to them. Well, Your Excellency, um, I think, you know, probably beginning here, the one thing that I've noticed about Malachi Martin, and I, I'd like to kind of move in to give our listeners a broad overview of who he was, a little bit about his life, I'm going you know, to you to do that. But the one, the one thing that I've noticed about Malachi Martin over the years is that Trads, of course, I mean, as we as we all well know, Trads love a good conspiracy. And I think that was one of the, the, the capital features of him is he loved to tickle the conspiracy bone 
somehow to give credibility, uh, particularly when it comes to such things that we're going to talk about regarding the third secret, all of his um, his supposed uh, uh, you know presence in key places with key people and whatnot. Uh, you know, he was kind of a as I was talking with Stephen the other day, he said, you know, he was kind of like a traditional Catholic Tom Clancy. You know, he he really, uh, you know, brought that to the forefront, and he gained a lot of credibility with with traditional Catholics in that, you know, in that sense. Um, but yeah, I he entertained people. Yeah, we well, certainly did, and, and he was an excellent writer. There's 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 no question about it. Um, maybe maybe the best place to start here would be just to give a little bit about the overview of his life. He was born in 1921, and he lived 78 years until his death in 99. But if you could maybe maybe just kind of lay out a little bit about who he was, where he came from, and his education, and moving on to uh, his uh, his ordination, and uh, just give an overview of him. Sure, um, that's that's certainly something of interest for us uh, for us to go through, uh, Justin. Uh, as I say, he was Irish. He was um, he was uh, he, he's truly from the old sod, and um, uh, as a young man, entered uh, the um, Jesuits and studied in uh, uh, Ireland because now this was during World War II and he couldn't travel. He, otherwise, he would have been sent to the continent to pursue up higher studies at some point, and um, ended up in uh, studying in in Belgium. He um, seemed to have a, a real facility for languages. Obviously, an extremely intelligent man. And uh, there at at Louvain uh, in Belgium, he um, did his higher studies in Semitic languages, archaeology, Oriental history. Uh, supposedly received three, I, probably this is a fact, uh, three doctorates, Semitic languages, archaeology, and oriental history. And on the assumption of 1954, he was ordained a priest in the, in the, uh, in the Jesuit order. He, then he went to the Holy Land. He studied at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem and also at Oxford University in uh, England. And, and wrote some scholarly papers himself. Uh, uh, was in Lebanon, Sinai Peninsula. Um, then his, I'm just sort of quoting and summarizing here from his uh, his uh, biography on Wikipedia, um, which of course is not especially reliable, but at least it gives you maybe a starting point. He then uh, the the author of this or the authors claimed that he was summoned to Rome to work at the Holy See as a private secretary for Cardinal Bea. I don't know if that's true, because there are other reports that he uh, was simply working in Rome doing translation, and that he, because he was a gifted uh, linguist, he was, he was uh, very useful in, in that work. But that's, of course, where it all starts. Doesn't it? it becomes very interesting and, and very um, complex, very complicated. His... Um, uh, his his work in Rome uh, that takes him into uh, the time of the council, um, and here this is this is then the occasion for him 
to have all sorts of outrageous stories that he that he presents that uh, pure fantasy business about his living quarters were in the Vatican just outside the papal quarters of John the Twenty Third, and he was standing in the hallway when John the Twenty Third and the cardinals opened up in 1960 the. Um, Third Secret of Fatima, and that's on and on, just blather and nonsense. No, no reality to that at all. Absolutely none. What what is true is that during that era of the early 60s, he had made contact with the American Jewish Committee, and uh, was already writing and submitting articles and being paid for them, either to um, either reporting on clerical gossip, things he had heard about uh, the goings-on in Rome, or actually trying to influence public opinion. He actually wrote a prayer that he attributed to, saying that it was written by John the Twenty-Third, of, um, and it's a prayer very much in the spirit of Bergoglio, but all the conciliar popes, saying you know, about the great crime that we've persecuted the Jews all of these centuries, and may God forgive us, we must never do this again, etc., 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 when actually the greatest crime of all church history was being perpetrated at that time, and he was a major player in it, which was the Jewish persecution of the church almost up to her entire destruction. And he, as I say, was a key player in uh, all of this. So I say you can read if you you know look it up. You you can you can read um, uh, quite a bit on the internet. One of the um, one of the main articles that that anyone would want to read would be by this Joe Roddy um, about how the Jews changed Catholic thinking. Uh, there, you were given information about a number of the pseudonyms that he employed in his work and um, how he uh, then he, he specifies this a little bit more. Um, he came, he, you know, when he, when he left the priesthood, he actually was laicized after he had seduced the wife of, of a New York Times reporter during the time of Vatican II, a certain Susan Kaiser. Um, well, then he left the priesthood, left the Jesuit order, and he reemerged a few years later with, uh, with Jewish money. And um, was a fellow of the Guggenheim Institute in in Manhattan, for example, and paid thousands and thousands of dollars by the Jews for his work. Then he was sent by them, on as, as authors will go on, on speaking tours, and he visited Cincinnati uh, at least twice. While he was here, uh, he spoke to uh, Ben Kaufman, who was a reporter for the local paper, the Cincinnati Inquirer, um, and he he bragged to him about two things. I want to say, you don't know if it's true, because it's all, everything that he says is very possibly false, and all we can go is by the actual facts, but the facts are so damning, you don't really really need to worry about, I don't think, anything else. But he bragged that he had uh, Jewish blood, and that he, some Sephardic Jews who were exiled by uh, Ferdinand and Isabella ended up in Ireland, or maybe in England. There are two versions of the story, of course. Um, bankers, of course, and that, that that was his blood, and that, that was, and he was very, very proud to have that Jewish blood. Is that true or not? I don't know, but what we do know from the facts is that he did their work and was handsomely rewarded for it uh, to to the great detriment of Holy Mother Church and of souls. Then the other very interesting thing is the... Um, 
claim that he makes, again, here, right in River City, Cincinnati, Ohio, USA, he makes the claim that, and, and he said he's proud of it, that he rattled the skeletons in the cardinal's closet. That's his phrase. To um, that, that supposedly all these high churchmen had um, things of which to be ashamed in their background, very possible, and he knew the scandals. And uh, he threatened them with exposure unless they backed uh, the philo the Jewish version of Nostra Aetate, because there was a little bit of a backlash at some point during Vatican II, and uh, during one period of time it looked as though it wouldn't, once the last, that last summer, it looked as though it wasn't going to pass. The, he claims that he was the decisive figure in using blackmail on the hierarchy to, to get it to pass. And that, as I say, is also a claim that he made here in, in Cincinnati. Uh, if, if I could um, just uh, break in uh, a little, sure, little bit more. To, uh, I, I'm wondering if we can just um, just to put timelines on all of this. So when uh, was the laicization? What, what? The laicization was in 1965. Um, this is what the uh, competent Vatican congregation stated in 1997. They stated... Uh, in 1965, Mr. Martin received a dispensation from all privileges and obligations deriving from his vows as a Jesuit and from priestly ordination. Okay. And when did he reemerge then? He reemerged, uh, I, I think, uh, after he seduced Mrs. Kaiser, life got very, very hot, and you don't hear anything. Uh, particularly about Malachi Martin, during the rest of the decade. It's only in the early 1970s that uh, he is, um, and during that time he's, he's in New York, he, he, uh, that he reemerges, tries to make some sort of a contact with uh, the Catholic public. And, but now, in the early 70s, he's presenting himself as a, as a liberal, as a one-worlder, promoting the, the, the Jewish program, and... Uh, all of the rest, and it's after that, after say that Buckley interview on Fire the Line, that he will um, slowly attempt to build up his cred as a as a conservative, and then finally as a state of a contest before the sordid tale of Malachi Martin is concluded. Your Excellency, one of the things I find interesting is that. Uh Malachi Martin himself multiple times said he was never laicized, which you know, he carried yes. that with him, and he said you know he celebrated mass until well certainly until you know the day he died. Uh, and the one curious thing I thought about that, uh, it, you know, you can't help but notice that almost every every PR photo which has been released of him, he's wearing you know, he's wearing a business suit and a tie, a la Ratzinger. Uh, so it, yes, he, if he, he never, were so yes, Catholic. It was just a lie. It was just it was just right. one lie, not the most important lie, but just one lie among many. Along those lines, my colleague Father Chicada has interesting um, personal uh, anecdotes to uh, uh, um, on the subject. He says that he caught Malachi Martin in two lies, uh, and then the, that he called them up at Oyster Bay when we were still in the Pius X Society. Martin did, and this was his attempt then to. Uh, uh, infiltrate. By now we're in the um, by now we're in the late 70s, maybe like around 1980 or so, and uh, he wants to get into the traditional movement. And um, 
he calls up uh, Father Chicada, uh, Martin does, and um, uh, expresses his great admiration for Archbishop Lefebvre, how much he was doing for the Church, what a great man he was, and all of the rest. But at the same time, just several days before that great effusive praise of Lefebvre, he had given an interview in which he denounced Lefebvre as a schismatic and totally criticized him. So that would be a little bit of of a sense of it. And another time, he uh, wanted Father Chikada to come to his apartment. Of course, mind you, he's still in the Pius X Society. He wanted Father Chikada to come to his apartment in Manhattan the one that he shared, we'll talk about that at some point, we have to, the one he shared with the wife of a Greek shipping magnate, a very, very wealthy couple. She never divorced her husband, but she lived with Malachi Martin. He was sort of a kept kept man, you might say, for, for many, many years. Um, well, he wanted him, of all things, to go there and to celebrate Mass, and, and he, because he claimed well, he, there was no transportation, he really couldn't get out to Long Island where they had Mass, Father Chicada called his bluff by saying that uh, we said Mass, which we did, at, at, a, at, a, at the Warwick Hotel, uh, just a few blocks, actually, from Martin's apartment. Of course, he was never seen there. He just talked about his busy schedule and um, all of the rest of it. But that's, so that's uh, late 70s, early 80s. That's when he is attempting to get into the traditional movement. So you see the you see the maybe a little bit. I hope everyone is getting a little bit the idea of a timeline here, that uh, the great damage that he did in in the 60s, um, or at least claims to have done, uh, certainly the articles that he wrote, and whatever spying he could manage to do, which was handsomely rewarded by the Jews. He was paid thousands and thousands of dollars, thirty thousand in our money today, eighty thousand. Um, and given a high position at the Skugenheim Institute in Manhattan. Um, that that all took place. Then at the same time, he was busy seducing the wife of this uh, of this poor reporter uh, at, during the time of Vatican II. And uh, this will give you an idea of really the other side of the man. Uh, this, uh, let me talk about this for a moment with your indulgence, because um, it's so shocking, and the cruelty and the wickedness of this man. People should know about this. They should know when they talk up, and some people doubtless will be wanting uh, tomorrow at Mass, if if they've heard this program today, to to defend the memory of Malachi Martin. He um, was a past expert. His brother said that uh, finally Mrs. Kaiser went to see uh, his brother in Dublin, because she, because Malika Martin had disappeared, which she always did after he seduced a woman and promised to marry her, then he would disappear and he'd be incommunicado for a time. Well, to, to attempt to track him down, she goes to the family home in Dublin, and um, his brother says, uh, this is in 62, uh, no, 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 it's not 62, it's a little bit later. Um, Dear girl, the brother says, I don't know where he is. I must tell you, you are the fourth woman who has come here asking me the same question about Malachi. All of them have essentially the same story to tell, that they were in love with Malachi and thought Malachi was in love with them. Four women, she demanded, same story, he nodded, and one rather attractive young man, the story of Malachi Martin. Mm -hmm. So, uh, But the the wickedness here is not only that he destroyed a Catholic marriage, two young children, um, but that he attempted totally to destroy this poor reporter who is now a liberal a liberal writer. 
by persuading him. This was the intelligence of this man and his, his, his guile, his cleverness. He persuaded him and also uh, their circle of Jesuit friends and intellectuals, including uh, the celebrated Americanist John Courtney Murray, that this man, Kaiser, who is an ex-Jesuit seminarian, uh, was paranoid and that he was making it all up and he was in need of mental help. Uh, and he actually got Kaiser committed to a mental institution in the United States for a short amount of time. And then it all fell apart. Then the truth came out and that he, he actually did. Uh, all, all the facts came out about the, um, about the affair. And then he left Rome and left the priesthood and uh, left the Jesuits and left a, a destroyed Catholic family. And a man who was shattered, you can imagine. Of course you'd have some mental problems if a priest seduced your wife right away from you with two young children in the house. That, that's, that's the other side of Malachi Martin that, shall we say, we don't hear too much about. These are facts. You can find these, the letters on the Internet. These are historical figures. Everybody knows the name of John Courtney Murray, uh, the paratus of uh, Cardinal Spellman, and the celebrated Americanist Jesuit, and the great influence he had at the council. Uh, he writes about this. He apologizes to Kaiser for being taken in by Malachi Martin. Well, Father Courtney Murray, you were not the first, and you were not, the, you certainly weren't the last by the time you wrote that letter to be uh, taken in by this. Um, uh, one writer calls him not a double, but a triple agent, hmm. uh, Malachi Martin. So that's a little bit about the the malice of this man. And, well, I, I, we'll re return to that, I, I'm sure, my lord. But uh, on the topic of laicization, I had a question that I wanted to yes. ask uh, before I forgot. In fact, it's uh, a regular listener of our show, uh, my, uh, the priest at, my, uh, at the chapel I attend, mm -hmm. wanted me to ask. And I suppose the answer is uh, uh, implicit in what you've already said about the lie about laicization. But... Uh, he was wondering about whether Malachi Martin was a bishop, because apparently uh, he gave some indication that he'd been secretly ordained as a bishop for work behind the Iron Curtain. And uh, I, I, I suppose this came to light, I think, uh, like my priest is uh, uh, used to be at uh, Christ the King Abbey, um, and I think Malachi Martin had a bit of a connection with them, but they had a connection with Dr. Kumar Swami, who... Uh, apparently there was some issue with his ordination and that Malachi Martin then purported to uh, remedy this by doing a conditional ordination, advising that he was secretly a bishop, so therefore he could do this. Right. So that's, um, that's, these are interesting subjects that you bring up, uh, Nicholas, because um, that points to the uh, soft, scandalous underbelly of the traditionalist movement, sp specifically what we could call the remnant church, the St. David Contest movement. Um, and uh, his attempt at the very end of his life, Malachi Martin, perhaps was a backhanded compliment, I'm thinking today, to infiltrate at the very end, before he died, this poor wretch attempted to infiltrate what was left of Catholicism and to add his two cents of... Uh, confusion and uh, a doubt and lies and mendacity and all the rest of it. So briefly, the story is that um, uh, this man, Dr. Ramakumar Swami, was a, who was a, a medical doctor and a psychiatrist, and um, a wonderful traditional Catholic man, 
very charitable, very uh, he's someone that you could go to if you knew someone with, with emotional or psychological problems. You could, in all confidence, speak to him. He was a wonderful man and was a professor at Bishop Sanborn Seminary when he was in the Pius X Society for a while. But unfortunately, like so many, and this is the point, like so many of our traditional Catholic laity, and I'm going to say priests, and I'm going to say bishops, he was uh, gullible gullible in his innocence, a certain innocence about some people. And um, they are not, they're simple as doves, but they're not wise as serpents, and they get them that way. Well, uh, this man uh, decided, although he was a married man, he got involved in sort of an underground married priest movement of the traditional church, um, and went and so for some reason the uh, the ceremony took place in France probably because that's where this movement is very very strong for underground married priests who are traditionalists uh, supposedly. Well, he uh, attempted to have himself ordained a priest by um, Lopez Gaston, who uh, was a, a LaSalle teaching brother here in Cincinnati again for a number of years. Went to Miami. There in Miami, he got involved in the traditional movement. Um, and eventually presented himself as a, he was a close friend of Dr. Kumarswamy, presented himself as both a priest and a, uh, and a bishop, but didn't know anything about anything. Really an ignorant man. Well, the story is that at, at, at this ordination ceremony for Dr. Kumarswamy in France, they were using a booklet, and uh, the part of the, uh, the essential form, the preface, the ordination, which has the words you have to say to make a man a priest, that part of the booklet had fallen out. I guess the staples weren't holding. And uh, so they discovered their error only after the ceremony was concluded that he was not. And then at that point, Malachi Martin, who was there, very interesting, who was there and involved in all of this, says, well, I'm a, a bishop, you know. I was consecrated secretly by Pius XII to go into the into the Soviet Union and work there as a missionary, and I can rectify everything for you right now. Uh, they were very they were very close friends till the end, till he died. Mm. And a few years after that, Dr. Kumarswamy died. Very mm. sad. Very sad. Well, for those of you who are just joining us, we're at the bottom of the hour here, and you're listening to True Restoration on the Restoration Radio Network, and we are uh, sharing time with His Excellency Bishop Daniel Dolan this morning, and, and a topic of conversation, if if you haven't noticed already, is the is the, the rather curious figure of Malachi Martin. Uh, Your Excellency, maybe just kind of circle back here in this, uh, this this chronology we're doing before we move on to our to our personal thoughts, and you know w- when we all began hearing about him. I wanted to address this issue about uh, the the supposed relationship that he had with Cardinal Bea and uh, the the claim he made that you know he was a private secretary and translator. Um, number one, if you could speak a little bit about you know is that true? And number two, talk a little bit about who Cardinal Augustin Bea was because obviously he's a figure that maybe if our listeners don't know anything about, they should. Well, yes, he's 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 a very very important figure. In the story of Vatican II and the infiltration and the destruction of the Catholic Church. He is, is a man, uh, Beas, a German, from a Jewish background, who was a Jesuit himself. And remember, Pius XII favored both Jesuits and Germans. They were his pets, as it were. Well, he surrounded himself with them. And so Bea, for a number of years, was actually the confessor of Pius XII. Um, and uh, there was seemingly some sort of a link or a connection 
between, or so he claimed, Malachi Martin and Cardinal Bea. Uh, certainly Cardinal Bea was one of the, the main players in um, uh, the, re, might say, the rehabilitation of the Jews or the promotion of the, the heresy that the Jews did not kill God. They're not guilty of the crime of deicide. Um, so we have a lot of uh, photographic evidence and a lot of historical evidence of um, the writings of this um, uh, Jules Isaac, uh, the French rabbi, and his complaints to the church and how he was heard by Cardinal Bayard very, very sympathetically. And somehow that is all connected with the tale of, uh, of Malachi Martin. Although, however, as I say, and I think we do have to be careful here, because just as he made the claim about being a bishop or having overheard the reaction to the opening of the Third Secret in 1960 at the Vatican, it could very well just be pure fantasy from his part. Uh, but he, he certainly moved in those circles, and he certainly uh, knew those men. Perhaps he only worked for Cardinal Bea as a translator, some say. That's, uh, that, that's entirely possible. But Bea was a key player in Nostra Etate, the exculpation of the Jews and their rehabilitation, this radical change in not only Catholic attitude and philosophy of life, you might say, but Catholic theology. He was a, he was a major player in all of that. Um, and so, yes, there was certainly some sort of a connection there. And to use... Uh uh, you know, to use one of Father Chicada's uh, you know, little little sayings is that any time I hear something like uh, he was the secretariat for promoting Christian unity, which is Cardinal Bea's congregation, that you know my mm-hmm. antenna began to kind of twitch a little bit here. You know, when you hear those words such as promoting Christian unity. Uh, oh, sure, yes, of course. <laughs> you know, Naturally, when was that? that uh, you know, sure it is, and so. That was a congregation that was, as far as I know, and don't quote me on the dates, I believe, was established in 58 or 59. Is that correct? I think that is correct, the very early yeah. years of the reign of John the Twenty-Third. John the Twenty-Third, exactly. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I find it interesting that, and we talked about this a little bit before we went on the air, how in the world is it, and you, you are certainly, Your Excellency, more more versed in the, the internal politics of how the Church works, but I... One of the things that began to make me question a little bit about the claims of, uh, of Malachi Martin was if he was ordained in 1954, it seems to be a rocket ride to the top where he, in less than 10 years, here he is uh, in the Vatican, here he is as a professor, here he is as a secretary for Cardinal Bea, and then finally here he is rubbing shoulders with Paul VI, making international travels, uh, going on Holy Land pilgrimages. Uh, well, now, he I mean, claimed that. But correct. The, uh, 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 as the French would say, attention, be careful here, because th- these are all things that he claimed. He claimed that Cardinal Bea went to get him at Louvain, the, at the mm-hmm. university there, and then brought him to Rome. These are all the claims that he has made. Someone could do an interesting work, perhaps one day to publish a, a biography of this man, and I think it would be worthwhile work because it tells the whole story. It's one of the his story tells our story of of how the Catholic Church has almost been destroyed and certainly totally eclipsed in our day. So the business about the Holy Land trip, uh, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think uh, as Secretary to Cardinal Bea, mm, I don't think so. He he was certainly in the Vatican. He was maybe just a translator, but he was well-placed 
uh, to, to pick up on enough rumors and gossip that he could make articles out of them and sell them, and maybe sell himself to these important American Jewish leaders as, uh, as the man. He could be their agent in the Vatican, and he could, he could, he could use the knowledge that he has to promote their cause. As he certainly claimed that he did, as I even, you, know, the, you have the article in Look Magazine along those lines. But with Malachi Martin, we always have to be careful because the 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 um, prime directive we could say is he is a liar. He was just a liar. He was a sociopath. He had no sense of truth. I would also direct our listeners, uh, particularly as we're going through the chronology here and uh, listening to His Excellency uh, discuss some of the yeah you know, the nastier points, if you will, of the life of Malachi Martin. I remember years ago when I was first coming to to the traditional movement. I'm sure Nicholas can can attest to this. You know, we spent time years ago on the forum uh, Queen, and John Grasmeyer, who is was the procurator of of Angel Queen, sometime and I, I don't quote me on this time frame. I believe it was in the early 2000s. Really began uh, tearing open the whole subject of Malachi Martin. And for our listeners, uh, if you Google Angel Queen, you can yes. you can you can certainly find the Malachi Martin files to assist you in uh, learning a little bit more about this. Yes, if you, if you Google, just get Google Malachi Martin, you'll get a wealth of, um, of evidence that will lead you, if you're patient, to primary sources, to, to copies of letters, real documentation. There, there have been one or two desolatory attempts uh, that you find on the Internet, too, by R&R types, to write some sort of a defense of Malachi Martin, and that's a little bit represented in the Wikipedia presentation of his life and times. But you're you're going to find everything right there. So what what more truly needs to be said? Well, Millard, I guess one thing that I would ask, and I'm by no means an expert on Malachi Martin, but from reading a lot of the back and forth on uh, Angel Queen about that, and especially from the people who were upset about the, the expose, is they would seem to say that all that, uh, you know, the evil actions of Malachi Martin, the, the seductions, the working with the Vatican, the liberalism, that that all came before a conversion that he had uh later in life and he had this conversion and then that's why he became traditional and from that point onward uh, he uh he he wasn't this uh, deceiver anymore and that therefore you can accept him as this traditionalist hero from a, from a certain point onward yes but um uh that's just more wishful thinking and uh, if he ever spoke about having a conversion experience Please know that that was one of, uh, of the uh, one of the little machines in his bag of tricks. And every now and again, he would get it out on the table and wind it up. When he spoke here in Cincinnati in '73 to uh, Ben Kaufman, this is what he said: um, uh, that he he recalled once being purified. This is a quote from Malcolm Martin: I'm, "I was purified of my chauvinism." by some kind of a blissful nothingness that overcame him at Angkor Wat in Cambodia. <laughs> so he's claimed over the years to have a number of different conversion experiences. That's, that's certainly true. But uh, if he had a true conversion ex experience, 
I would think, and certainly our traditional Catholic uh, listeners should would, would have insisted on it too, that he would then uh, fess up, that he would say, this is what I've done. And then he would realize that he has to not only have a purpose of amendment, not to lie anymore, but also to make some kind of restitution to all of to all for all the damage which he has done to Holy Mother Church. The restitution was not going around um, giving interviews uh, and feeding the fames of the Fatima fantasy movement of Father Nicholas, not Father, because he's not really a valid priest, but Nicholas Gruner, for example, That's or claiming to have conducted exorcisms, or his last books, writing these fantastic tales about satanic masses in the Vatican and, and uh, children being sacrificed and so forth and so on. That was, that was all just more fodder, all more okay. fodder. Everything, everything was a lie. And if anyone sits down very calmly to, to, to study the thing, you would see it all coming. But um, if, if you're agreeable, I don't know, maybe now would be a good time uh, to, uh, to talk a little bit about... So they're going to say that, your, your traditional Catholic friends who, uh, who are fans of Malachi, they're going to say that. What, what is the reason? What was the hold? What's the attraction that this this man now long dead holds on these people, and I think it's because he knew them well enough to be able to speak to and feed their appetites. He um, he told them exactly what they wanted to hear, and uh, the more pleased they were, the more things he would make up. Hmm. Because they they didn't live in a real world of dogma, Nicholas, of doctrine, right. of hard fact, or even hmm. Of history, they lived in this the, the world that that has always been a great part of the traditional movement since its beginning in the 1960s. It was uh, well represented by the um, oh, first of all by the apparitionists, all the apparitionists, and then mm-hmm. and then later on by the emergence of the very strong recognize and resist crowd, and then the Fatima industry. That's another great example of this world of wishful thinking and and mythology it's all mythology or as i like to say it's a myth and superstition it's a hopeless swamp once you once you stride into it it's quicksand and it could eat you up and many of these people really i think have been eaten up or consumed by it i would suggest instead of this just a calm sort of an intellectual or academic study the same approach which proves the fate of a position that ours is the true unchanged Catholic faith, that the Catholic faith cannot change, that same very calm, quiet, considered, if you will, um, academic, not even a question of faith. Just look, just go by the facts. If you just go by the facts with this man and you see, you see all of the evidence, you would see, no, this is the truth. And so, and so then to answer your question, what about if he had a final, shall we say, conversion experience? Then... Um, if he had one, he would have made some restitution. He would have fessed up to all of the lies and all of the wickedness that he had worked his whole wretched life, but he never did. Well, I, I suspect some people would try and say that his books were his fessing up and showing what was really going on uh, in the Vatican, but do, do I understand your point that all this sensational conspiracy theory stuff and, and these things about black masses in the Vatican that, that these are something that allow 
or cause traditional Catholics to be distracted from the real issues, which are the doctrinal exactly. ones? Exactly, because the real issue was that John Paul II was not a Catholic, and therefore he was not even a member of the Catholic Church, much less qualified to be elected as the head of the Catholic Church, the, the sovereign pontiff. That was the real issue, and Malachi Martin didn't want to touch that one any more than Michael Matt would have, <laughs> because uh, they have to deal in emotion, they have to deal in fantasy, they have, they have to, there's an appetite. People's appetites need to be fed, of course. But in, in, in exchange, you receive their sometimes uh, unthinking uh, canine loyalty in, in return. But uh, don't confuse me with the facts. That's the whole story of the persecution of what's left of the Catholic Church. Well, Your Excellency, um, I think, speaking from a personal standpoint, when I was, uh, you know, over a decade ago, whenever I myself was was divorcing myself from the, from the Novus Ordo Church, I um, I was taken in by several of his writings. And uh, the one the one writing that I uh, really kind of tore into was the book uh, The Windswept House, and arguably one of his most popular books. And I did see positives, but also many negatives, particularly now negatives, but at the time I viewed it as a as an interesting explanation and kind of a wake-up call for where the church was, because even in the book, he, he did have many, many harsh words, but I think coming out of it now and taking sort of a, you know, a hindsight 2020 look at Malachi Martin, and we talked a little bit about this before the show began, was certainly within the recognize and resist crowd it's it's uh and i've heard father chicada i've heard yourself i've heard bishop sanborn talk about this that all of you at one time and maybe maybe not yourself had this idea well you know the you know the pope he wants to do well he had, you know he's surrounded by the evil entourage and those those bricks had been laid down you know, so to speak upon yeah. the traditional path but i think malachi martin's um, I've heard many of his interviews. I've listened to a lot of them. I mean, I've listened to his Coast to Coast interviews. I've listened to, uh, as you said, uh, the, the the interviews he did with uh, Bernard Jansen over the years, many of them. And I think if the bricks were already laid down on the path, he probably poured the mortar between the joints, if you will, to use an analogy, of this idea that, well, you know, the Pope is held hostage, you know, the Peter in chains, he, you know, he wants to do well, but, you know, he knows what's going on, but he's, you know, he's helpless to do anything about it. And I think that maybe had was the greatest poison poured into the, the, the recognize and resist ordeal. And I think even unbeknownst to some traditional Catholics who read his writings, they're maybe not aware of that, of that indoctrination which is being poured down, but the power of that indoctrination of, well, he's the Pope and he wants to do well, but he just is held back against his will. Sure, because remember, um, while we're saying many things about this man and about his character, we are not denying for a moment that he was brilliant. Uh, one writer says, imagine the good he could have done for Mother Church had he been faithful as a Catholic and a Catholic priest. He was a brilliant man. So he was one of those men who had the, uh, the possibility within a few minutes of conversation to size you up. And then having sized you up, he decided what he was going to do with you. 
It was going to feed you more stuff. Was it going to destroy you? Was it going to use you in some simple way and then pass on as he did as he did with women? Uh, he he sized up a situation. That's what he did at, towards the end and in his infiltration of the traditional Catholic movement. He sized it up and he gave the people and uh, what they wanted to hear and more. He gave them free seconds. Have as much as you want. There's plenty of ice cream in the freezer today, boys. He, he gave them everything that they wanted. And yet at the same time, uh, he also, especially classically on the, this, uh, these Art Bell interviews, he mm-hmm. also um, exposed his hand, didn't he, more than once. Well, to start with, you know, on the, um, on the uh, firing line interview uh, in 1973, he made some outrageous and blasphemous uh, claims uh, he said that God could have become incarnate as a cow if he had so decided. If you can imagine the blasphemy of just such a statement to be made. And then on the, uh, on the, in the Art Bell um, interviews, he said that abortion was a private matter between the woman and the doctor and maybe the father, and that the church had nothing to do with The church had better stay out of politics. He adopted a pure libertarian line about the subject and i believe along the lines of birth control pretty much the same thing he claimed that shamans uh, different pagan priests especially in america pagan indian priests had the power to expel demons and that this was our lord working through them that was another claim uh that that he made um uh and adopted pretty much of a uh, of a. Then, of course, he always spoke very, very much in favor of the Jews wherever he was, and condemned the church for centuries of anti anti Semitism. He would always speak very, very strongly on those on those subjects. And so, when he's with traditionalists or conservatives, and then or when when he's writing some of these books, then he's careful. He doesn't talk about anything substantive. He he goes to the fantastic because he knows that's going to sell books and that's what people want to hear. You'd much rather hear about satanic masses in the, in the Vatican and babies being sacrificed than the fact that um, old J.P. II, Totus Tuus, with his great devotion to Our Lady, is uh, a modernist and uh, is no more pope than Malachi Martin. So that's, that's, that's the tragedy. But I think again and again, gentlemen, we always come back to the, the, the same point of um, he sized up a man's weakness or an audience's weakness, and then... He played to that weakness for his own purpose. Uh, and, and the weakness that, that he was able thus to exploit in, in, in all of his writings, his interviews, and the rest of it, that, that weakness was the, the, that which, from which we suffer today, I might say the rejection of the Catholics who are left, for, for those who are, shall we say, the weak sisters of the church, they can't, they can't take the strong food of sedevacantism. That, that man is not the pope. Anything, give me anything but that. I'll do anything rather than have to hear that and believe that. And so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to these fantastic Disneyland stories rather than go with canon law and Catholic theology. Um, and in that sense, I, I think a little bit about Bergoglio when he said it's easy the other day about uh, authentic Catholic spirituality is not cakes. It's not you know, stuff out of cake shops. And uh, he should know because that's a, that's a major part 
of this whole, you know, religion as feeling and sentiment and feel good about yourself and all that. That's, uh, that was his stock and trade as a modernist, and that was uh, Malachi Martin's as well. Well, uh, Malord, you, uh, you, you mentioned that people would rather hear about Satanism and Satanic uh, ritual than hearing about uh, JP2 or any of these other claimants not being Catholic, but uh, I wonder if we could just delve into that a little bit and discuss whether there's, is there any uh, merit to the allegations that are raised there, and specifically, uh, the, I think he mentions uh, uh, involved participation of Joseph Cardinal Bernard, Bernardin in uh, the enthronement of the fallen angel alleged to have occurred at St. Paul's Chapel. It, I wonder if you could discuss whether that there's merit to that, or is that something that we don't even need to concern ourselves about? No, I, don't, I, I really think it's something we do not need to concern ourselves about, and that anything that gets to the fantastical uh, is um, dangerous territory, and there's no need for us to go there, because in going there we waste our time. And how do we know about any of this? We have the word of a sociopathic liar, uh, a man whose wicked deeds are well documented independently by independent and secular sources. That, so, therefore, all the rest of it, we can just dismiss me. You know, Bernadine, he was the Archbishop of Cincinnati before he was sent as a cardinal to um, Chicago. And I've certainly heard, uh, from, actually, from some interesting sources, some very interesting things about him. They, they uh, in his own personal immorality, the rest of it. That may or may not be true. I don't know. But what I do know is that he was a, um, uh, a very highly organized political a politically savvy activist modernist in the hierarchy and that he used that as his means to re redo the face of the Catholic Church in America. And that's you see now that's the evil. That's what we really have to talk about. The other stuff, it may be true or it may not, but we shouldn't we shouldn't be distracted by that stuff. We really shouldn't mm -hmm. be in that and it's it's the distraction that appeals to people. We are like children at the dinner table, gentlemen. And we know that mom has baked a chocolate cake, and her chocolate cake is pretty darn good. But unless we eat our, our peas, <laughs> we're not allowed a piece of cake. And so we keep on eyeing the cake. And if mom leaves the room and gets on a telephone conversation, you better believe we're making a beeline for the cake because it just feeds our sugar, and that's what we want. It's great, right. and that's, you, that's the, this, uh, this idea of you can never underestimate the gullibility of people and, their, and their pan, the pan, by pandering to their lowest appetites. That's so true here. Our work, the work of restoration uh, for priests and bishops and for, and for good, strong laity, is, is the work of doctrine, is the work of true history, is the work of fact. And we are opposed bitterly by these people who live in La La Land, uh, the apparitionists, the Fatima people, the R and R crowd, um, and they they can look the cow right in the face and say it's not a cow, that's God or that's the Pope or that's because because there's no sense of reality. All that means is that the bad guys have won. One of their but if the bad guys have won, believe me, one of their main um, one of their main tools and instruments. During the second half of the of the of the twentieth century, was certainly the, the Jesuit that we're talking about today, uh, Malachi Martin. Well, for those of you who are just joining us, we're at the top of the hour here. We have an hour uh, 
under our belts here, and you are listening to True Restoration on the Restoration Radio Network, and I am your host, Justin Soder. I am joined uh, today, well, this afternoon now, by His Excellency Bishop Daniel Dolan, pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio, and the topic today that we're discussing is the ever-enigmatic uh, Malachi Martin. Uh, your Excellency... This is, I guess this this question ties directly into this. You know, in my years that I spent from the time I was born to the time where I, you know, thanks be to God, had my awakening and 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 left the the Novus Ordo structure. One one thing that I notice about traditional Catholics versus uh, those in the Novus Ordo is that for for all intents and purposes, those in the Novus Ordo are oblivious to conspiracy theory. They don't want to hear about it. They don't yeah, want to think about yeah. it. They don't want to talk about it. It's nonsense. Who cares? It doesn't matter to me. Whereas on the other side of the pendulum swings, the traditional groups love and thrive upon conspiracy. And is this something, well, I suppose my question falls into two parts. Number one, why do you think this is? And number two, I think the question is, um, does this, is this a good thing to a point for people to wake up and see things, such as what Malachi Martin talked about with the New World Order and all this, or is it a, just a, uh, is it a distraction in toto? Well, um, the, if we uh, buy into the second of your two questions or propositions, Justin, we then take care of the first. That is to say, we have evidence, we have facts, we have hard evidence that Malachi Martin was indeed a paid Jewish infiltrator, a double or a triple agent, this apostate priest was, at the crucial time of Vatican II for the destruction of Catholicism. We have proof of that. So what, what, uh, what they say about infiltration and conspiracies and all the rest of it that is true, at least as, as it represents uh, this man. But then to go to the first point, isn't it odd then? Again, I stress this point. Isn't it odd that the people who are most interested and just most drawn to just these sorts of things uh, about infiltration and conspiracies and plots and all the rest of it, that, uh, that they, they, they look right past the, the bulging dossier on... Malachi Martin, the fact it's proven by his own words and deeds and by uh, objective evidence time and again that he was that conspirator uh, and, and that this is what he did. Now, um, that leads me to a consideration that uh, is highly, um, as though everything we're talking about today, gentlemen, we're not, we're not um, uh, controversial enough. This is really controversial. But we can't talk about Malachi Martin and his life history and his life's work and his achievements unless we understand the Jewish question. Um, and this may be as good, uh, with your indulgence, as good as time, uh, time as, as, as any to, to get into it at least uh, a little bit. Unfortunately, as with so many things, our Catholics were never properly instructed in this subject probably because the Jews had already controlled mass media and, um, and had already softened the church, even by the beginning of the 20th century. 
and they used all sorts of different means of uh, manipulation and uh, use to the media, particularly, in order to achieve their end. So it's, it's something you, not even, you can't even talk about. But you can't understand Catholic history. You cannot understand the Mass, Catholic liturgy, and the readings uh, in, the, in the ancient Masses of the unchanged Roman Missal. You can't understand current events. You can't understand where we are today unless you understand the Jewish question. And Malachi Martin conveniently presents himself, uh, appears out of hell, as it were, and I hope he, I hope he saved his soul at the end, but uh, he, he certainly gave every indication that he was a damned soul. Uh, and damned many, many times over. I can't imagine what Dante would have done with him, where, what, what circle of hell he would have placed a, a, a triple agent like this apostate priest. But he emerges to bear witness to the fact Yes, there was indeed a Jewish conspiracy against the church, and uh, and that, as a matter of fact, they were successful. So, I uh, there's a quote from Pius XI, who said that uh, even as we defend their legitimate right to life and to to property and to being taken care of uh, for the Jews, nevertheless, that does not mean we do not have a right, we Christians, to defend ourselves against them. This is an, a proposal that is so shocking to most people that they would just dismiss Bishop Dolan as a crazy anti-Semite, and that's the end of the story. But the truth of the matter is that the Catholic Church did not persecute the Jews. That The Jews, since the beginning, have persecuted the Catholic Church. And in the old days, up through Pius IX, the Catholic Church defended herself against them to the very best of her ability, using whatever means were possible. And it was only uh, with the ending of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th, that the Jews, for many reasons, especially for finances and for power that came that come with money, that power does, um, that, that, the, that the Church uh, became terribly weakened as a result of that. And that coincides, of course, with the modernist infiltration or modernist conspiracy against uh, against Catholicism so um, you, you have you have to you have to look at things in, in, a, in a different way you have to look at things in a Catholic way what would help you to do that ah read read please read pick up any of the books of that great Irishman he was a Holy Ghost father not a Jesuit uh, who uh, whose who's very life and work it was a beautiful act of, of reparation, uh, Father, Father Dennis Fay, uh, the uh, Kingship of Christ and Organized Modernism, three or, two or three books. And the kind of a book, if you're not even a disciplined reader, you can just open it and almost anywhere and start to get some kind of an idea of what he calls the organized forces of naturalism, which are the Jewish nation, as he phrases it, and also the Freemasonic conspiracy. Those are the two chief uh, um, power players in this attack against Catholicism, against Christianity, uh, for for many many centuries on, for the Jews, right from the very beginning. And read read what what the popes have said about the Jews in the 19th century, and then and from all the way back. Read those magisterial documents. Immerse yourself in this, and also in the lives of the saints. The um, 
the, the zeal with which they burned St. Vincent, uh, Vincent Ferrer, for example, great Dominican, to, to convert the, the Jews and how many thousands of Jews he was indeed able to convert. He actually preached in the synagogues. And, of course, the Jews, until sometime during Pius IX's reign, had to go to the, in, the, in their ghettos. They had to go to a synagogue and listen to a sermon at regular intervals. That was just part of the conditions of their own life. And yet they were so dangerous to Catholicism that there are all these rules in place to, pr to protect Catholics from them. So the whole story of the 20th century and the subversion of the Catholic Church is a story of revenge. Sweet, sweet revenge wreaked on Catholicism by the Jews, by those who today are taken to be Jews, whether or not they are uh, by blood, that's another question. They certainly are not by religion. There's not the Old Testament religion by any means. It's a, this Talmudic... Um, Babylonian Tal Talmudism, they call it. It's a mixture of the occult, superstition, uh, many factors, di uh, something di diabolic in it, too. Uh, but, but very, very little of, of, of the Old Testament religion is found in modern-day Judaism. So this is, um, this, is, this is the reality that we face. And the challenge is this, to, to see how they use naturalism to destroy Catholicism, but not ourselves to be destroyed or eaten up by, by naturalism, to keep our wits about us, to pray, to study, and as the English like to say, remain calm and do your duty. Excuse me, remain calm and carry on. We have to do this in the face of all of these things. But if we do, I think that uh, I think that we could we could uh, begin to understand the real conspiracy. You might say they left one um, they left one crucial piece of evidence out which the murder investigation who killed the Catholic Church has picked up on. And that crucial piece of evidence is the life and the work of Malachi Martin. So he's invaluable for us. He was invaluable for the Jews, for the destruction of Catholicism, and even the destruction of the traditional movement at the very end, an attempt, an attempt. But uh, he is also invaluable for us, too, because he is a smoking gun. He points to the AJC, the American Jewish Committee, and Guggenheim, and Herschel, and Jules Isaac, and all the rest of these, and Cardinal Bea, all the rest of these characters who had such an influence, such an influential role in the, in the perversion of Catholicism during the False Council of Vatican II. Your Excellency, we have a, uh, we have a question here from, from a live listener who I, I just checked the email account here a second ago, and, and his question is, his name is Michael. He says, he says, so let me get this right. Is His Excellency implying that Martin was Jewish himself, or was he just a useful tool to the Jews? I can't read between the lines here. Could His Excellency explain exactly what he means? Well, good question, because we said this at the very top of the program, but let's stress this again. The only uh, indication we have of some Jewish blood for Malachi Martin is himself. He claimed that. Was that just was he just playing up to the Jewish reporter who interviewed him in Cincinnati in 72 or 73? Or is it the truth? We don't know. I don't know. It could be just that's like the satanic masses in the Vatican. It could just be one more thing he said at the spur of the moment, a claim that he made. Uh, and, and I would say that need not uh, detain us. We can just uh, sort of move. Right. It's interesting. Let's note that he claimed it. You, you find objective evidence of it. Uh, it would be, it'd be interesting if you could actually say, ah, yes, he was indeed Jewish blood, he was a Murano, he was an infiltrator, and uh, therefore he did all of this. But all we know is that he made the claim. 
Okay. I suppose, so some of our listeners, Your Excellency, don't believe that we're being overly harsh and just, you know, Bishop Dolan has been on his anti-Semitic rant for the last hour and ten minutes here. Uh, the question <laughs> is, is that um, do you find any merit whatsoever in Malachi Martin's uh, written works? I mean, some traditional Catholics, and I, certainly I can speak for myself, having read some of them, it, it um, was there any benefit to his writings in so far as perhaps it did wake Catholics up to... Uh, say, a conspiracy which was to overthrow Roman Catholicism going back to the time of the Council and up to now. I mean, this is not getting into any of his, um, say, uh, radio works and his many, many interviews, but just the writings themselves. Do you see those as being any what, uh, any way beneficial to bringing Catholics on the stepping stones towards understanding the problems in the Church, or are they stepping stones that are built upon quicksand? If he if he woke if he woke up if his writings served to wake up as you say Justin any Catholics it was only so that he might slip them a Mickey he might give them a drug that was far more powerful and and a drug furthermore uh, you know takes you into La La Land and Nirvana uh, <laughs> that that makes you just sleep right through uh, the best parts of real life uh, if that that was his purpose I give no credit at all to any of his writings. They were all lies, fabrications. There might have been accidentally many, many true things that he that he that he had in there. He used them. Uh, for example, the revisionist uh, Michael Hoffman remarks that he had dinner once with Malachi Martin in New York, and he gave him some of the research that he did on the Jewish question, Jewish infiltration, and the rest of it, and um, secret societies in America and so forth. What, what he calls twilight language that they use. Well, uh, and then he says that that end up, ended up in, without attribution, the windswept house. So he, he had that uh, marvelous ability to be able to, uh, to go everywhere, almost like an octopus, and take this and take that, assimilate this and assimilate that, use this a little bit, change it, and use it for his own purposes. No, I think that the attitude that we should have towards the books of Malachi Martin which was that which was uh, shown by uh, my colleague, uh, Father Chicada. One night in Oyster Bay, he, t- he tells the tale. It's an interesting story. Uh, he's a great reader, and he's a great reader of history. So he picked up Malachi Martin's latest book, or somebody gave it to him, his book of the history of the Jesuit order. And he said he was reading it in bed, the first chapter. And just within a few pages, he had he, he discovered, Father did, so many Factual errors and bold-faced lies, uh, just at the very beginning of the history of the Jesuit order, that infuriated Father, closed the book and threw it against the wall of the room, <laughs> left Ooh. it on the floor, <laughs> and he's wow. never he's never had any truck with Malachi Martin since. That's what our Catholics should have done. Had they known a little bit, maybe they would have. It should have been thrown against the floor and then thrown in the fire. Mm. We have another question, Your Excellency, directed to you, um, and this is from a, a person. I can't tell if they're upset or if they're just uh, you know, asking a question here. It says, how, how does Bishop Dolan know Martin was lying? Others have said the Vatican is ruled by Freemasons, and, of course, Malachi Martin said the same thing. Perhaps I missed His Excellency's reasons for the proof as I just tuned in shortly ago. Could you please explain this? Ah, that's the trouble, and that's the challenge. Uh, I admire very much the patience of Father Chicada because he gets 
he'll talk about it sometimes. He, well, the other day he was trying to answer his email, and he did like two, three hundred emails waiting to be responded to, and many of them are sincere questions, as I'm sure this is a sincere question, from somebody who, who what, has just tuned in. Uh, and I would uh, answer, look it up. Do your homework. Don't be lazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, the, at, the, at the beginning of the show, I, I, I mentioned that anybody could read all of the documentation they could possibly desire, especially on that Angel Queen site, which I right. found to be extremely useful, but not excluding primary sources of actually from the Jews or from the Jesuits themselves on, on these subjects. So if you will spend about if you spend just a few minutes on the internet, you will see uh, his lies, and you will see the damage that the man has done, and it's irrefutable evidence. Uh, Your Excellency, just to add to that point, I I, I can tell that that particular person who who wrote the question in that um, I recall the time that actually came out, and this is like I said uh, earlier in the program. I can't remember if it was in '03 or '04, '05. I really can't remember the the. The dates are all blurring together now, but I remember myself being personally offended, and I felt like uh, you know John Grasmeyer was on a witch hunt, and that uh, you know he took a lot of heat for that. I do, you know, I, I do recall the forums were were, were pretty hot with uh, you know banter back and forth, but uh, the the compilation he's put together there it, it, it's pretty encompassing. It, it, it certainly is pretty encompassing, and uh, there's one more question from a listener. Uh, it says, uh, His Excellency said it at the top of the program that what he calls a, a distraction, that, that Malachi Martin was a distraction. Uh, and he says, What he calls, excuse me, he says, What he calls distraction was people trying to figure out what in the heck happened to the church. Martin's explanation made sense to, to so many people. It had to be something outrageous because the, church, because the change in the church was outrageous. I lived before the council, and certainly now afterwards, and I can see that the changes were outrageous. Is this something he was just capitalizing on, or was he actually making some kind of sense? Well, he was a, he was a distraction in a sense. Yes, that, 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 that's true. But uh, on the other hand, he was, as I say, a crucial piece of evidence. He's a smoking gun. He is, you know, the bloody knife at the murder scene with fingerprints all over it. And all you have to do is just to, to, just to study that, and, and that will point you, point you back again. Um, but when I say a distraction, too, I mean the tendency that, uh, that we have today, because our, we live in an information age, which means people have access to very little in the way of real information at all. Uh, if, um, if we had known our Catholic faith, if our Catholics had been formed by their parish priests and by their bishops and by the Vatican, by the popes in the 20th century, to who our enemies were, the whole Jewish question, for example, the organized forces of naturalism and Freemasonry, um, if what St. Pius X attempted to do 100 years ago had only been continued by his successors, uh, then we would have been alerted. You know, they say that about, um, to a certain degree, they say that about Bishop Castro Mayer in Brazil, how he, he insisted that his priest form the people. And so that when, uh, when, they, when the changes came, they were able to resist 
they were able to stand up against it, maybe not on the specific point about the state of occultism, no, but on the revolution, yes. And then there was a strong movement of priests and lay people, which had to be specifically subverted after his death by this man that Pius X Society chose to consecrate as their, as their bishop. And then, of course, they all went into the, uh, into, into the modern church. But um, I'm not going to blame anybody here, because um, what, what, what good does it do that just offends people? But if we had known, if we had studied, if, if somebody had told us, or if we had looked these things up ourselves, we would have realized uh, it's a new religion. People said that, and the French said that about the uh, first changes under, uh, uh, under Pius XII in the Holy Week in the 1950s. And a lot of people said that. It's a new religion. And that's why many people just stayed home. They had nothing to do with it at all. So I, mean, I don't blame people for, for finding attractive or finding morbidly fascinating and even perhaps worthwhile uh, the, the stories spun by uh, Malachi Martin. But the real explanation for what happened to Catholicism and this is the point, maybe, of the program today, the real explanation of what happened to the Catholic Church is Malachi Martin. He's your man. Spend some, if you're interested in the subject, uh, spend some time on that. Find out who he really was and what he did. You read about him, and you, you realize it's true. The Catholic Church was subverted by Jewish money and by an apostate priest. That's, that's quite true. Mm-hmm. Um, we have one more we have one more question that came in earlier of the week, and, and and this person asked to remain anonymous, which we are happy to take anonymous questions on Restoration Radio. We will protect the we'll protect the names of the innocent here. And he said, uh, qu- <laughs> he said the question for His Excellency: the most common thread in objecting to to Sedificantism is uh, is the Fatima issue, and it seems to me like Malachi Martin truly truly capitalized on the Fatima issue. Of course, he would say that one cannot be a Sedificantist because if indeed Fatima is true, then we must have a consecration, and therefore, who who can do it if there is no Pope? Do you think this was planned, or do you think this was his true beliefs? I think either he, towards the end of his life, I think either he uh, was told by his by his masters, his money masters, or his own sense of diabolic canniness led him to different elements within the conservative movement, shall we say. And that's how he ended up with the, the what I call Father Gruner's Fatima industry. And what that anonymous questioner wrote is so true. I mean, how many people there are who will tell you, when you say, well, you know, there's no Catholic Pope anymore, that these men aren't Catholic, they would say, well, then he has to be a Pope, because who would consecrate Russia and get us out of the mess that we're in today? That's all a myth. That's all, that's all totally made up. Like uh, some wonderful fine tale spun by Malachi Martin in one of his best-selling books of fiction. That's all a myth. That's not true at all. Uh, that goes to show how confused people are and how they will take anything. You know, it's like it's like somebody on a diet. You know, I should have a salad for lunch today. I really should. But if there's a ham sandwich and chips waiting for me and a and a piece of chocolate cake, you know, I'm going to go for that because it tastes better. Uh, and and it's 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 the same thing. I'll go for anything except for the the bitter draft of truth. You press that cup to my lips. I'm not going to want to drink it all the way. It's too bitter. I can't. I can't. I can't get it down. So uh, when we're talking about um, the the Fatima movement and the whole infiltration of the church and the rest of it, we're talking about important things, mind you. 
but it's, a, it's its own, it's taken a life of its own, and Malachi Martin was canny enough. He praised publicly and uh, at some length Father Gruner. He, he thought, just thought he was a great man and a great Catholic. Of course, they were scratching each other's backs, and it was all nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It's, uh, Gruner has, has managed to spin this immense myth that is worthy of Malachi Martin and certainly worthy of his support. Uh, very briefly, this is only my opinion. I may be totally wrong. It's simply my opinion, my reading of these things, is that um, these demands were time-conditioned from Our Lady, uh, Fatima, and then the post-Fatima apparitions, um, the popes, uh, Benedict XV and uh, Pius XI, those two, they were the men who were, who were meant to consecrate Russia, to have all the bishops of the world consecrate Russia with him to, to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. That was God's will. And they didn't do it. And because they didn't do it, as predicted, there was this horrible worldwide war. Entire nations were annihilated. Look at Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, for example. They were just swallowed up by, uh, by Russian communism. And a great, a great time of grief and suffering and persecution came upon the whole world. And that was basically what we would call the communist boom in the 20th century, the Cold War. Um, and then, I think, probably, the sense of the... Uh, third secret, nobody knows, it's pure speculation. I think probably the sense of it is the destruction of the, of the church and the um, destruction of the papacy. That's probably the sense of it. That just as I make a parallel myself, just as um, uh, because the French king, Louis XIV, the son king, refused to consecrate uh, France to the Sacred Heart and to put the Sacred Heart of Jesus on the French flag and the French arms and the rest of it, uh, that therefore eventually there was no more French king. He lost his head. I, I make a parallel between that and the Immaculate Heart of Mary devotion, because these two popes refused this request, which is after all backed up by the miracle of the sun. My goodness, you know, a uh, miracle seen by just hundreds of thousands of people in so many countries at that time. Um, it, it was refused because of political, because they, these popes were, were liberal politicians, and they, especially Pius XI, uh, naively and innocently believed that he could, uh, he could, he could do something with, uh, with Lenin and the communists in, in Russia by being nice to them. He refused to make that consecration, and even Pius XII wouldn't do it as it was ex expected of him, because it would have been politically unacceptable, it would not have been diplomatic to speak in those. He just couldn't possibly do that. So I think that's the reason why we lost the Pope. That's my own personal, personal opinion. Well, Your Excellency, but, I can't let you off the hook here on this one because I tell you we will, no, get, we, we will get we will get email after email after email on this oh, yeah, if I don't follow yeah. up with this question. For sure. Uh, and I would remind our listeners that I would uh, I would take the liberty to say that both His Excellency and certainly myself are definitely edified by the Fatima message. There's 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 no oh, question, no question about, about that. Devotion to Mary's um, Immaculate Heart is crucial. It has not been preached and it has not been practiced nearly enough. And Our Lady's heart is promised to us when we've lost the Mass and the sacraments and the hierarchy and the whole visible Church as our last refuge. And I totally, entirely, and sincerely believe that uh, with all of my heart and all of my soul. But what I'm attempting to do is to sketch what I view personally as the timeline of the Fatima message. So in other words, let's just stress this. It came to an end. Uh, the punishment came about in 58, 
just as in 38, you know, there was that thing seen in the sky to announce the coming of World War II. So those two, those are two crucial dates. And now we're in the, as regards the prophecies, we are in the post-Fatima age. Our Lady's heart is our refuge. We're waiting for some ultimate triumph. But everything has been fulfilled. And all mm -hmm. the rest of it is just that same spirit of Malachi Martin wearing a Roman collar and talking out of both sides of their mouth. Because, right. you know, don't you know that Bergoglio is a great Pope of Fatima? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, this is, right. okay, so this is the silver bullet question that I think has to be asked, because we're going to get emails about this. They're going to ask, well, how can His Excellency reconcile his position when Our Lady said the consecration would be done, but it would be done late? And if there is no pope to do the consecration, then how in the world can the consecration be done late? I know we will get a million questions about this, Your Excellency, so I want to go ahead and try to head those off by letting you respond personally to all those who would be asking that question. Well, I, I would say that Pius XII, to his credit, established the feast day of the Immaculate Heart. He gave privileges, liturgical privileges, for First Saturday observance. And today, of course, is First Saturday in October, or Rosary Month. Um, and he did make uh, a consecration with a sort of a veiled reference, as he liked to do, a veiled diplomatic reference to Russia uh, in 1942. And then he, then he did something again after that in the early 50s. So you have something along those lines. But I'm no... I'm no Fatimaologist, and I don't believe that we need to be, uh, because I think that it's something in the past now. I think we're now living in the post-apocalyptic age, the, the, the secret. We're living the secret of Fatima. And, and the idea that there's going to be a deus ex machina, that somehow there's going to be a true pope and he's going to consecrate Russia, that's all just mythology. There's no, there's no facts behind that at all. But that, it's that kind of a spirit that Malachi Martin cleverly saw and fed, because that spirit helps to uh, weaken, if not to destroy, uh, a rational, faith-filled, and at the same time profoundly pious or religious uh, uh, approach towards living our Catholic, understanding what's going on and living our Catholic faith today. Hmm. Okay, so to follow up with that, Your Excellency, so so essentially what you're saying is that the in your opinion that the uh that the time to do something about this has passed and that yes. would you are you saying that there would be no consecration? Oh yes, it's 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 time. For example, um if uh Nicholas, if you were to tell one of your children um take out the garbage and I think probably they're young, but it's safe one when we're old enough. Then, um, and the child says, no, I won't. Or the child says nothing, but simply does not take out the garbage. And then, um, you know, 40 years later, as an adult, he comes back. He says, I'm really bad about that, and I'm going to take the garbage out now. Uh, Mom, well, that's nice, Mom and Dad, but, but uh, the, the, the time is passed. Uh, and it, it's uh, not exactly a parallel, but it's a little bit that same idea. The time is past. That's the whole, I, I, again, this idea of this total elasticity, uh, that's, 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 that's a myth. There's, there's no fact behind that at all. No, the, the uh, if you will, the crime was committed, and certainly the punishment, the just punishment of a just God has come down upon us all because of it. Mm. 
Very interesting. Well, for those of you just joining us, we are at the bottom of the 12 o'clock hour here on the Restoration Radio Network, and we are uh, uh, we are speaking with His Excellency Bishop Daniel Dolan of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio, and we're reaching a bit of a wrap-up point here on the subject of Malachi Martin, and I think His Excellency has laid out quite well uh, so many... Uh, uh, so many talking points, but also thinking points for our audience to uh, go out and do their own research. Uh, I know that one of the most common things that you will hear in the, the interviews that we have available on True Restoration Media from both His Excellency Bishop Dolan, as well as Bishop Sanborn, as well as Father Chicada, particularly in some of the interviews Father Chicada has done, is that these these issues are not going to be solved with, with these one-line responses. They're not going to be they're not going to be solved with these uh, you know the various tracks that are put out. I mean, you're going to have to spend some time and go look it up. You're going to have to go do yes, do, do your, your research, and hopefully this will inspire Catholics a little bit more to go out and go do those things, to, to spend a little bit less time on the, you know, the less important things, you know, the distractions, and go out and, and try to be level-headed and objective about these things. Would you agree, Your Excellency? Absolutely. The, um, what you feel or what you think, what your opinion is, does not interest me, and that's that's the reason why I admire those who can live and die on the uh, on the internet, <laughs> and I admire the great patience of, of somebody like Father Chicago who always jump into this forum or that and attempt to uh, attempt to uh, to fix somebody's wagon for him, because you just you do this vast amount of ignorance today, and unfortunately we have the means of exposing the whole world to our ignorance immediately, and uh, then it's and then script them on it, which you write stays. And then, and then somebody is supposed to sort of sort you out and, and take care of things for you. Well, that's just the modern world. But yes, do your, do your work. Don't get don't get all agitated. Don't get all upset. Don't uh, don't be insulting to anybody else. Certainly not to your favorite local bishop. Be 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 polite. Be friendly. Be respectful. Listen. Try to learn a little bit. You know what? A real good place for internet research for anybody on Malachi Martin would be, even though the article itself is uh, corrupted with a lot of Malachi-isms, a lot of uh, obvious uh, false claims that he himself made, is simply to, to Google his Wikipedia bio. Uh, you will come across, and this, as the Australians would say, this gobsmacked me. I was like, wow, I don't believe it. One of the illustrations on the fifth page of his printed-out uh, bio on Wikipedia is that of his cemetery marker, his gravestone, at uh, Gate of Heaven Cemetery in Hawthorne, New York. And so you see a gravestone engraved, and there's sort of a religious symbol, the, the IHS in the middle. And on the one hand, you have uh, Malachi Martin, and you have the, the date of his birth and the date of his death. Fair enough. And on the other side, what do you think you see? Kakia Livanos, and you see the date of this Greek woman's birth and this Greek woman's death. Why is she buried with Malachi Martin? Because she lived with him. Because she's the woman who got this little elusive leprechaun who seduced many a fine lady in, in his day. And he finally, because of money, I think, uh, he finally was gotten by this Greek lady who was somebody else's wife. Those are the, type, the kind of women that uh, this... Uh, Apostate preferred. Um, I've seen that picture and, that, of the gravestone. Yeah, this is this yeah, is the proof. It. Let's start with something that's carved in stone, shall we? 
And let's go so, back from there. If you want facts, uh, it, 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 listeners, if you want facts, start with some of the facts. And I, uh, one thing I want to also add in your excellency is, is I don't believe that you are saying that there are no trustworthy places on the internet to do research. But you would, you would encourage people to be discerning and to check multiple sources. Am I reading that correct? Uh, of course, of course. And then, then always try to get to what uh, what we would call the primary, uh, the primary sources. The uh, the doc the um, the documentation written mm-hmm. by the by the interested parties, not somebody's opinion about about something or another. As I say, who cares about that? Let's mm-hmm. let's go to facts. But um, you know, for all of its um, drawbacks and all of its obvious dangers, the internet at times can really serve a worthwhile purpose. And there's a lot of of good factual information to be found there on the Internet in these studies. Some of them come from this Maurice Pinet blog, some from Michael Hoffman, some from the Angel Queen Forum, some from uh, other independent uh, writers or researchers. But follow the leads and get the documents. And with the documents, you get the documentation. For example, like Malachi Martin and his um, the pseudonyms that he would use in the 1960s are alluded to in the in the Look magazine article, How the Jews Changed Catholic Thinking. One pseudonym he used, uh, I think for writing magazine articles, was Pushkin. And one of the authors said, look at, look at what he, look at what he, um, at, at the pseudonyms that he chose for himself. Pushkin was a radical who was exiled by the Tsar before the French, uh, Russian Revolution. He was a Freemason, and he was known for writing a particularly blasphemous poetic poem attacking the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's Pushkin. He took he took that name for himself. And then another name is Seraphian. Uh, Seraphian means either in some Middle Eastern language m- money changer or son of the money changer. And somebody said, oh, point, look at that. Isn't that interesting? Then there are other more innocent ones like, you know, Boyle something or another, more Irish, Irish-type names that, 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 that are used for him. But... Um, Look at the, but look at the gravestone marker. Look at that first of all. His um, and then right next to it on the Wikipedia page is a, is a reference to his death. Uh, I hope he had the grace to make a good confession and to die absolved of his sins. And I hope he was able to save his immortal soul. God rest him. Uh, what a what a triumph to the mercy and the goodness of our Lord that would be if such a great sinner were converted. Uh, the man who was with him towards the end, a priest. And the one who conducted his burial was a strong traditionalist and a good priest to Father Father Wickens of uh, St. Anthony uh, Chapel in um, West Orange, New Jersey. Uh, and uh, as a matter of fact, I wrote something, or else I said something to somebody that got around one or the other, and I received a rebuking letter in return from Father Wickens because he was a great fan of Malachi Martin. He was yet another simple priest, gullible, who was is, who is taken in by him. But he's also somebody who always refused to accept the reality that the seat was vacant. He was he would talk a lot, lot about things, but he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't form his people for the truth. Very few priests would ever dare to do that. Very few priests or bishops would even dare to do that. But, and, and, and as a result of that, uh, I'm going to use the phrase, Justin, blinded. We ask God to, to pardon the Jews because they have been blinded. Uh, uh, the, the phrase in Latin is, is uh, ob, ob, obcecationius populi, the blindness of this people. Um, but sometimes Almighty God blinds us as a punishment 
because of the sin against the Holy Ghost, which is to resist the known truth. And I, 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 oh, I sincerely wish that our Catholics would stop resisting the known truth, especially when we see uh, the fruit, the bitter, bitter fruit, the, 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 the destruction that uh, was wrought by the successor of Malachi Martin. Malachi Martin was the precursor as we said at the beginning of the program of JP2, and certainly the precursor of Bergoglio in so many ways, that is so true. And if we're in the mess that we are today, so that even people who are maybe Malachi Martin fans are now starting, starting to open their eyes, it's because of the work of Malachi Martin, though. He is the one who had, who had such an important contribution to make. Your Excellency, one last question here, and then we'll go ahead and wrap the show up, is, is uh, in the in the research that people may be doing on Malachi Martin, would you encourage them to go listen to some of the things he himself has said? Because you can hear contradictions. You know, if you go right to the horse's mouth, as we say in America, uh, you can hear uh, there are plenty of contradictions to hear, but would you encourage people to go listen to some of the things that he has said? No, I, I think I think stay with the writing. Stay with something mm-hmm. which is cold and, and black on white, as it were. Uh, and, and that's because... uh, Even listening to people who are notably wicked can be an occasion of sin or at least of a certain weakness, either for the mind or for the soul. Because remember, these people were, uh, Malachi Martin, uh, they were experts in mind control. And uh, even sometimes it's the tone of voice, or I don't know what diabolic or demonic forces may lurk uh, with his recorded voice. But I would say no, no, no. It would, it would be it, it would, this is all these things are to be handled with great prudence and, and with great caution. It's sufficient to do the research yourself on the internet. Get a hold of uh, get a hold of the facts. And as I say, somebody perhaps needs to write his biography because he is he's a smoking gun. He's a, he is one of the most important figures in the destruction of Catholicism. Well, I think that's a very good place to stop and. Uh, I would like to thank His Excellency here this morning for coming on and now this afternoon for coming on and taking time out of his busy schedule to join us on the Restoration Radio Network. Uh, as I said last night on the program, we do not take the time of the clergy for granted. We know they're very busy, and uh, it, it's very edifying that they would uh, carve time out of their schedule to be on the air here. I would encourage those who are interested in learning more about Bishop Dolan and St. Gertrude the Great, you can go to the, uh, their church website, sgg.org, where there are many resources. You can hear Sunday sermons. You can uh, you can observe uh, Sunday Mass uh, all morning long at the various Mass times. Uh, you can also find out uh, more from Father Chicada's side of the website, SGG Resources. And as we said last night on the program, you can uh, Father Chicada now is uh, on Twitter, and he's having to do that to keep up with the the absolute tidal wave of information coming out today, both the media and from Rome on the latest musings of Bergoglio. So that's a that's a good website as well. I would also encourage listeners that you can hear His Excellency. We do a, a show one Saturday a month on devotions, which I would really beg more Catholics to tune in to listen to because while we do enjoy the meaty topics of uh, you know, conspiracy and whatnot. It, it, you can never learn enough about your faith, and His Excellency is a wealth of information about the devotions, um, and that's a, that's very important to make sure that we're supplementing our faith with good things as well as learning our history. So, uh, Your Excellency, do you do you have any closing thoughts? Yes, I would like to close with a quote, if I may. Uh, this is a quote from a noted. Um, I mentioned his name during the during the broadcast today. A noted historical revisionist. 
um, he was once Catholic himself, but a lot of the a lot of the work which he did on these subjects is really groundbreaking work and is is worth our um, interest and our respect. His name is Michael Hoffman. This is this is how he sums up. He, he this is something he wrote uh, just about a year ago. A triple agent. Uh, double agent is too modest a term to describe him. Malachi Martin was, according to the Cincinnati Inquirer, the descendant of Judaic bankers who somehow ended up in Ireland. After he announced his alleged traditionalist credentials, he told Art Bell in the course of an interview before a liberal radio audience that the state had no business regarding abortion. He's still a hero on the traditionalist scene, thanks in part to a Canada-based audio recorder who for years marketed his interviews with Malachi Martin. Malachi Martin was uh, Cardinal Bea's uh, peritus or expert in, uh, for Vatican II, for Nostra Aetate. He's the architect of it, uh, a guy who was pretty much a crypto rabbi, landed on his feet in middle age as a traditional Catholic, and most bought it, a very wealthy and adroit scam artist. Uh, I had dinner, uh, Hoffman continues, I had dinner with him once in New York, 1978, and at that time gave him some of my research into conspiracies and Satanism. It ended up in the windswept house, unattributed, of course. I'll say this for him. For a slender guy of small stature, he could drink anybody in the room under the table and remain as lucid as ever, a very sharp intellect. Imagine what he might have accomplished for good had he been actually a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ and an honest man. Instead, he betrayed God and advanced the rabbinic agenda inside the 20th century church to a degree that is truly astonishing, and he never owned up to it. End of quote. I, this is pretty, that's a pretty good summary, I, I think, for this man, about whom obviously one could say an awful lot. But uh, the other thought is, that's what I've been saying, but you look it up yourself in a calm, quiet, dispassionate way. Do the, do the homework, do, do the reading, and I think you will, you'll discover uh, the proof of Jewish infiltration and the proof of a conspiracy against the Catholic Church. Hmm. Well... Your Excellency, I think that's a great way to end the show, and uh, I would encourage listeners, we will see you or we will talk to you again on the 19th this month for the Devotion Show where we talk about the Holy Rosary since October is the month of the Holy Rosary. I would also tell listeners that His Excellency was just featured on our From the Pulpit series on uh, this past Thursday night where he gave a very, very interesting conference on the Catholic Church being the one true church and also a sermon recently on the Rosary itself. So, Your Excellency, thank you so much for your time, and we will talk to you on the 19th. You are very welcome. It's always, it's always my pleasure, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for this uh, opportunity to expand the apostolate. And uh, the, the work done by Restoration Radio is indeed worthy of our support, as is uh, our work here with uh, the Fathers at St. Gertrude the Great, because this is the work on the ground level for the maintenance and one day, God willing, the restoration of Catholicism. So let us let us uh, pray for the Church's persecutors for their conversion, and let us pray for ourselves with all humility for our perseverance in the Catholic faith. God bless you, Justin. God bless Bye-bye. you. Thank you. Bye. Now, I'd also alert our listeners that uh, as our season on Restoration Radio winds to an end, we are... We have our annual report card out. Uh, it's a survey of Restoration Radio. You can go to the truerestoration.blogspot.com. 
Uh, scroll down a little bit, and there's a survey you can fill out. We would really appreciate hearing your comments. It doesn't cost you a thing. It's all free, which I know is the right price. And you can uh, there's there's several different boxes where you can put your personal comments on there, as well as some uh, uh, some radio button survey information. And uh, we would appreciate you taking a few minutes to fill that out, and uh, it'll help us show planning going towards uh, season three here. And uh, we're meeting at the end of uh, actually the end of this month to brainstorm and to plan for season three and some of the show topics. So we'd love to hear your comments. I'd also ask that if you found this show to be beneficial or informative, you would consider making donation to our apostolate and you can do so by going to the truerestoration.org website uh, and there's a PayPal donate button on there and we have different levels of subscription um, based upon whatever your means may be and uh, you can also make a one-time donation on there we will be working on uh, uh, recurring donations that that'll be a feature coming soon but uh, even if it's as little as a dollar it's it, it is well received well taken and it goes towards defraying our costs and also bringing on new show guests for the uh, for the third season. So I want to thank all of our live listeners today, those who will download here in the future. Uh, you can listen to uh, all of the Restoration Radio broadcasts on uh, the the iTunes store. We're syndicated on Stitcher. Uh, you can download it uh, directly from the Restoration Radio website on blogtalkradio.com slash restorationradio. If you, you can follow us on Twitter at True Restoration. You can, you can send us an email for show comments, comments on this show that you'd like forwarded to His Excellency, comments to me directly. Uh, at mail at truerestoration.org. So uh, we'll be back on air tomorrow night to finish our Catholic history show with Charles Colomb on Catholicism in the South, and we hope to see you there. Thank you so much for listening, and you are in our prayers. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.